0: canopy of trees, if there's a tree that's dying, all of the healthy trees feed it nutrients, you know, through their roots and underground system to give it the health it needs to grow back up. Because if there's a hole in the canopy, then the canopy becomes vulnerable to the sun and the outside elements. And so that's what you do as that's showing up as a team is you're feeding health through the through, you know, the weak individuals at that moment, at that day, at that week, or whatever, so that you can continue to grow health and cover up any spaces of vulnerability to the whole unit. Welcome to Mindful Warrior Radio. Mindful Warrior Radio is a space we created to connect with incredible humans, to share brave stories, authentic insight, and real knowledge. Thank you for joining us. On today's episode of Mindful Warrior Radio, your host is CEO and founder of Mindful Warrior, Cornelia Holden.
1: Today on Mindful Warrior Radio, we welcome our guest and your host, Kami Craig. As you know, Kami is a performance and culture coach at Mindful Warrior, where she brings an instinct for winning and an innate knowledge of building and leading high trust cultures and high performance teams to all of our clients. She specializes in helping elite and professional athletes, coaches, and teams reach their performance goals. Kami brings her world-class accomplishments as a 13-year veteran of the United States Women's National Water Polo Team, a three-time Olympian, and a two-time gold medalist to her skillful and passionate work as a performance coach here at Mindful Warrior. Cami Craig She's a true advocate, challenger, and champion. I feel so lucky to tap into all the insight and inspiration she'll have to offer on today's episode of Mindful Warrior Radio. Good morning, Cami.
0: Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. It feels fun to be in this seat of Mindful Warrior Radio.
1: I know, we get to flip seats. So cool. Well, I've been so looking forward to having this time to talk mostly because I know all the cool conversations we get to have um, off air, and I just thought it would be so cool to have you as our guest on Mindful Warrior Radio
0: this morning. Awesome. Thank you. I'm looking forward to what questions you have for me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's so many things, obviously, I could ask you about, and in fact, I hope um, we get to do this many more times in the future. But um, I thought, based on some of our recent conversations, I just thought it would be really great to have you um, on today with a focus specifically on culture, culture carriers, and what it means to actually build a high-trust, high-performance culture, whether you're just in a marriage, um, you're parenting, um, you're in a school setting, you're on an athlete on a team or um, you're, you're uh, in a group at work. Mm-hmm. And I just think, you know, all the times that we talk, you always have so much insight about, you know, what, what, what it takes to build a culture. So I thought we'd, we'd start there. How's that sound?
0: That sounds great.
1: Cool. Um, all right, well, as you know, at Mindful Warrior, we have a definition for culture and um, we define it as the beliefs, behaviors, and experiences of a group that create shared understanding of how and why to be together. So culture is like that holding tank, beliefs, behaviors, and experiences um, that create shared understanding. And in essence, like when you go to do stuff and you're not watching what other people are doing, culture is what kind of gets you through um, having to not micromanage or um, over, over um, you know, t- take over um, somebody else's work for them. Um, it sort of just percolates on in the background if you've built it well. Um, but you and I also know that culture is not the same as just sharing space together or like almost like sharing like a negative condition together. Mm-hmm. Just because you're doing something together doesn't mean you have a culture. It's gotta be intentional. So, in a way, culture is like this innate force for change. And I just wanted to um, frame a little bit of this because I want to frame how I understand what you did on the women's um, national water polo team. Mm So, you know, when you think about culture that way, as like this intentional force and this intentional um, energy that that you sit in, like in in a marriage, as I said, or in the team or a group, and then you use healthy power, meaning you like engage your own personal and positional power, you can actually shift out of dysfunction into health. And in the 13 years you played on the women's national water polo team, it was, I think it was understood then and certainly um, today that you were one of the key culture carriers on that team. Mm. And I from what i understand um you were intentional you were relentlessly supportive i mean we've heard that in some of your interviews with your teammates and your coach and you chose to enact that personal power like your character and your skills and your experience with your positional power you were one of the greatest centers of all time and you did that in small and large moments all day long mm-hmm. so you were a true advocate challenger and coach even though I think this is fascinating. You never had that seat. It didn't matter. You were the one who built that. So we have so many listeners curious about how to build healthy teams, groups, locker rooms, schools and companies. Can you walk us through, I think let's start with the mindset of someone who chooses to be part of the solution to move away from just kind of being in a condition together and into a healthy, high-trust culture together. What do you, what kind of mindset do you have to bring um, to do that?
0: Yeah, I think it's, what a beautiful job you did articulating how we see culture uh, through the lens of Mindful Warrior. And it's interesting, as you were sharing that, what emerged to me is like, where did I really first learn how to um, intentionally, you know, give into or pour into culture. And I really think about my family unit and how I grew up and how um, I had the example of what is it to be intentional with culture. I kind of giggled a little bit in my mind because we, my parents used to say, like we had the Craig manual, um, and it wasn't the rule book, but it was the manual. So like, there's ways in which we showed up as a family for each other. Um, and I can really, as I reflect, and as you were talking, I was reflecting, we really had clear roles and responsibilities in our family unit, um, you know there was ways in which my dad showed up and behaved there's ways in which my mom showed up and behaved you know each of both my brothers and myself kind of had roles and responsibilities and that was really communicated clearly by both of my parents and then that standard and expectation um was uphold, you know, it was like, that's where we had to be. And, you know, like one of the, the lines in the Craig manual is say, as you do and do, as you say, if you're going to commit to something, you need to follow through on it. And that was not only within our family and what we did for each other, but anything we signed up for in regards to, you know, um, outside obligations whether it be you know athletics or um arts or music or whatever if you're going to say you're going to do it you got to show up so that's just one line item in the craig manual but really what a great example i had of of culture um, at a very early age and how it was communicated and how it was intentionally held and i think um you know we've talked a lot about you Uh, you bring a lot of your behaviors from kind of that middle school age or your family unit into your work environment. And athletics quickly became my career at a young age. And I think I brought a lot of maybe some of those healthy pieces and obviously maybe some unhealthy pieces, you know, as the world teaches you how it operates. But um, I definitely brought some of those healthy pieces of enacting culture into a team environment.
1: So you think about that mindset, it sounds like, you know, do as you say and say as you do. So it's interesting. I have a, um, a teacher who's now passed named Angelus Arian. Maybe some of our listeners know her. She's written The Fourfold Way and lots of beautiful books. And that was one of the qualities of how you build trust as a warrior. Say as you do and do as you say. So that seems like the, the core mindset in the Craig manual is really about, you know, can I count on you? yeah right. I mean, are you actually gonna do what you say you're gonna do? because if you do and and that what you do is in line with, I guess what are these roles and responsibilities? Because you know, how would you talk about like how your family created um because you can have you can have a family situation where it's pretty oppressive like we all have our roles we all have our responsibilities and you better darn well do as i say do as i say or and then and then and then and then you know enact it so what what were the like i mean how did you guys create accountability i know your your mom and dad held you to high standards But there's all this joy and love in that Craig manual too. So talk with us about like, and that's not always easy. I think a lot of families struggle, like, is it more discipline or is it more freedom? Like, and then where do you, and then how does love happen in that mix?
0: Yeah, I think one thing that my parents have always done a fabulous job of is understanding each uh, child's strengths, abilities, and threshold. And Mm. No, like we were not treated the same and not in a way that wasn't unfair, but really in a way that we were met individually. Um, And so that meant that, you know, I had a different kind of responsibility and role than maybe my brother's because his strengths were different than mine and his opportunities were different than mine and he could be pushed in different ways than I could be. And so my parents were really great at kind of being aware of what each child needed and when. Um, And I think another thing that I learned at a really early age is I don't, and it's like, I have no idea where my parents learned this from because it wasn't done for them. It's just the way that they showed up for our family, which is phenomenal. And I give them so much thanks and love for it. Um, But they also really were committed and disciplined to balancing our schedule. So there was a time to play. There was a time to go be social. And that was really important, but there was time where we needed to like rest and sleep and recover. And then there was times to be full blown, like athlete mode, go in the pool, go swim, Cammy, go play water polo, go do the things. And then You know, first and foremost, the priority was really locking in and getting your school responsibilities done and making sure that, you know, as a a student with learning differences, dyslexia, you know, my parents made sure that I had all the support there and they knew the energy had to go there first, because once that ran out, it was going to be really hard to get kind of some of those things accomplished. So they did such a good job kind of meeting each child where we were at and then, you know, helping us balance what is social rest and recovery and work mode.
1: Wow. I mean, what's incredible is you just described the fact that your parents um, were had a lot of the skills of a coach. I mean, they really understood specific differences in development stages and in talent sounds like instead of um, really focusing on equality in the family, they focus on equity. And I think a lot of parents can get that, they can mistake that equity for equality. Like for example, oh, well, we're just gonna treat every single person the same. If I give you a dollar, I have to give your brother a dollar. If I give you you know, this benefit, then they have to get the exact same. And I think what I heard you just say is that your parents were able to see you three kids really as individuals at different stages on the journey with different gifts and skills and each of you needed different things depending. Is, is, that, is that sort of what you're saying?
0: yeah absolutely. That's definitely how it felt. And I think also, what's interesting is when our family was under stress or pressure or in a time of challenge, um, you know, there we came together in that. And I think I really was raised with this idea that, you know, there's a solution to every problem. We lean in together. We're going to need everyone's strengths in different ways to kind of show up. Um, and you know, and it's as simple as like, you know, my brother's really kind of savvy on the computer and can type quickly. And so he was running all the documents that maybe we needed in a time of need or, you know, just little things yeah. like that. And, um, And so I really kind of got this early run at what is it to build culture within a group? What is it to be able to count on someone? What is it to be dependable and show up? What is it to lean in, actually take a look at a challenge square on and choose to show up as a team versus ignoring a challenge or mom and dad siloing or, you know, and I think there was an appropriate filter on what, cha- you know, what they shared within the challenge. Obviously they were the adult and we were the children, um, but, you know, it's still felt in a family unit. And so there's certain ways and simply, you know, at times the role of us as children was just to go to school. Focus on the schoolwork that needs to be done, be accountable for what is your like immediate responsibility while, you know, mom and dad were battling outside and whatever it was that we were facing. So, um, but I think all of that just made it almost innate and natural. It was early training to bring onto all of the sport te- sports teams that yeah. I have part of.
1: Well, I mean. That's a great pivot there, but I want to, before we go into sports, I just want to kind of close out this piece on your family, because it's actually quite fascinating. I mean, one of the things that we teach is that for a culture and a team to be healthy, it has to have diversity inside of unity. And so what I'm hearing is like the, the, the Craig family manual really in terms of its unity was about, okay, lean in in hard times, don't fracture. And I've heard you talk about that on the Olympic team. Like, don't, you know, go and solve your problems at home. If we've got a problem on the team, bring it to the team. We're the ones in the pool. The the family and the coaches are not in the pool. We got it. We got to resolve it. That, that's, that, you guys, that was a, that a unified idea. Lean in in hard times. Um, I also heard you talk about, like, accountability and dependability. So, you know, this is a thing that clear, clearly all the kids, and the parents were expected to be dependable and to be accountable. And probably even before they were accountable to be responsible, right? And so like, that's a unifying theme. And then you talked a bit about like, yeah, we all had to go to school and we had, you know, sounds like some extracurriculars mattered, you know? And so that was a theme. We all have kind of a job and we go do it and then we come home. And I also know that, you know, just based on um, what I've heard you talk about, like there was also part of the manual was, and we're gonna love each other. Through yeah. thick and thin, and we're gonna have each other's back, yeah. even when you know you might not want to have each other's backs or things are tough. But that's you're just gonna find a way to double down on that kind of loyalty. Yeah. Um, but then again, within that, it sounds like your parents also allowed this freedom of, um, kind of who you became. I mean, yes. you and your brothers are are very different people. You're the first in your family to have gone to college. You're the the first, you know. Um, I think Division One and certainly Olympic level athlete in your family. I mean, your parents had to figure out how to parent quite differently for lots of different type of children. And by the way, you, as you talked about, had a ton of energy. It wasn't like you were yes. just an easy little like, oh yeah, you know, like you don't have to really do much. So yeah. I mean, wow. I mean, we teach yes. this, and I just want to lift that up. Right? Is that like wherever we we are, whether it's in schools or um, in a family system or in a company, it's like, what is your unifying, right? uh, Playbook. And
0: Mm -hmm. it shouldn't
1: be too much, right? It doesn't sound like Uh, it was heavy playbook, but then within that there should be a, a real diversity of how you show up.
0: Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, one of the things that my parents often said was like, we don't care if you, you know, like if you've got like the highest level job or the lowest level job, just be the best that you can be in that situation. Like, If you're, you know, if your job is to mop the floor of a restaurant, make sure it's the most beautiful floor, you know, that's been mopped and that you do such a great, you leave things better than when you found it. And so it didn't matter like what in fact you were embarking on. It was the pride of ownership, um, the purpose in the task and the ability to really take ownership of what you were doing in a way that you could be proud, um, and represent the work that you were doing. It didn't matter the work, just be the best that you could be in the work that you were doing.
1: So as we conclude this part around your family, and I think it's important to give it space because, you know, as I think our listeners can hear how we build culture is taught to us so early, Yes, you know, and it's so primal. And, um, I think of the the stories you've told me of your dad on the oil rigs and just wonder if there's like I mean to me what you've when you've described your dad it was very much that he was a leader and a coach I mean he really understood how to get guys that were out way out in the middle of the ocean months on end to have a to commit to a purpose and maybe even a mindset what tell me tell tell me and our listeners like a story about like what did you, what do you think your dad was teaching and, what, and and how did you see him teach you those same those same things as well
0: yeah i think you know i i look at my dad and i i'm in awe of him you know and what a privilege to be in a position to see your dad as your hero um and you know, I, again, I don't know where it's within their family system that they pulled, but I also think my dad just is this kind of disciplined, committed creature. It's this like ultimate loyalty that the Craigs can carry at times. Um, and my dad was You know, he was fully committed to the work that he was doing. He was working offshore on oil rigs and he was supervising the entire operation. Um, And it's a very kind of high risk and at times very unsafe thing. And so attention to detail, safety and working together as a team and a unit is incredibly important for the safety and livelihood of those working. Um, And so, you know, I would actually, we would be kind of telling story back and forth of what are the challenges that we're facing within our teams at different times. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that my dad had always brought to my attention is like, you've got to connect And he would always say, you gotta, you gotta go touch the people who are struggling, you know? And so he tells a story about a guy that was really having a hard time connecting to, uh, the guys that were working throughout the rig. And he said that he went up into kind of like the the room that he was working from. And he said, all right, bud, this is what we're gonna do. When I say smile, you're gonna smile. And so the guys are all working on the floor of the rig and he's up there in this unit, they're overseeing everything. And he goes, okay, now smile. And he was like, all right, Steve. And the guy smiles and he goes, all right. And so we're gonna watch, watch, okay, now smile again. He's like, all right, Steven, he's smiling. And he, what he was doing was, you know, from my perspective, he's creating these connection points and these, these, um, opportunities to be human to his team where this guy potentially had more of a rough exterior felt disconnected. Um, and what my dad was doing was just like, Hey, look, actually, if you have a human moment, you can take the opportunity to connect and you can put some kind of. Uh, liveliness behind it or joy behind it. You're going to get the results that you're really looking for. Um, But I, that story really showed me that my dad could see kind of the bigger picture attuned to the, to the individuals that were working within his team and his unit and really the needs of them um, and the importance of connection and showing up and not siloing or disconnecting in a time of need. Yeah, I think
1: about that, like, just in light of, again, back to what we're teaching, which is this idea that culture is made up of nodes and networks, right? And so what, whatever it is, there's a lot of guys out in the middle yep. of the ocean. And those are all, we, we consider those like nodes. Those are individuals. Yep. And then the network is the relationship that connects the nodes something bigger and so I think it's like you're telling us a story about how your dad is the leader of this entire rig recognized that one of the nodes was struggling and was disconnecting and he knew that I mean I think back to Sir Ernest Shackleton and you know him going to um you know the arctic and what he did was he started to notice who the guys were that were really struggling and the guy that was driving everybody crazy he put in his own tent that was the same idea of what your dad was doing is like, all right, I'm gonna keep an eye on the folks that are actually cratering, struggling. And maybe it's for good reason, or maybe they're having, a, you know, maybe they're pain in the neck or maybe they were like depressed or anxious or whatever. But my job as the leader is to ensure that the whole system is well. And so I might have to spend some extra time up in that crazy room with that guy helping him smile. So, you know, even if we go from here, to like, you know, I think of the times that you had to do precisely this kind of work um, on the national team where you had, um, I don't know, even Ashley was talking about when she first arrived on the team And, um, she didn't want to, I think it was, it didn't want to be in California. You know, it was like, where am I? And you're like, look, we're going to TJ Maxx or wherever you guys went. And you're like, I'm going to build, you know, home goods and we're going to get your room set up and we're going to, it's that same thing your dad was doing. It was like, I got to make sure all my peeps are settled and well, because you knew that there was going to be a lot of pressure on P- on the individual nodes in order to create the network in order to go out and beat the Hungarians or the, you know, Australians yes. or whatever, whatever the deal was. So, I mean, so let's pivot now, um, to, to your experience of, um, culture on the national team. And where I want to go is this. I mean, you've experienced, and you, and you've experienced this as a coach too. So you've experienced it both as a, as a coach of, 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 uh, like, um, young athletes talking to you about their experiences um, on their uh, high school and collegiate teams. You are also a coach at Mindful Warrior um, to major companies and executives and C-suites. Um, so you've seen, you've seen this kind of culture that's highly effective and you've seen culture that is really, hasn't even been built yet. In fact, mm-hmm. it, it's, it may even be dysfunctional, even toxic. You've witnessed it as an athlete, and as a coach. So um, talk with us a little bit about how you recognize the difference between kind of like that culture by default, which is like what we're calling now, like a condition. It's not really anything because nobody's really invested in the culture Mm -hmm. and then the culture by design, like talk to us, I guess, specifically from your own experiences about like, what were the differences in your performance? Yeah. Um, on on teams or what have you heard from athletes about the differences between you know teams that have a really are stuck with like a lot of different people but not really that shared cammy craig agreement like that you came oh. up with with your family right like there wasn't like an overarching way of doing things that was healthy it was just kind of a cacophony of lots of different people doing their own thing. What did you see as the performance disadvantage and then the performance advantage?
0: Yeah, I think um, first and foremost, if you are in a family unit, a group, a team, you're going to face challenges together internally and externally you're either going to face the challenges of what you're trying to build and bring together or you're going to face the challenges of you know the pressure outside of the team that's kind of you know squeezing it in and and challenging it in all the ways um i think i have found we've talked a little bit about you have to challenge stability And you have to reduce performance and even reduce the feeling of trust to actually experience growth and forward movement. There's this kind of storming phase and moving through the eye of the needle. Um, And if you can, in fact, get through the eye of the needle and it doesn't have to be pretty and it doesn't have to be perfect, but you can do that intact as a group, like everyone makes it through to the other side, you're going to be in a pretty, um, pretty unique position where you've built strength. You've built unity. You kind of come out on the other side and you go, Oh my gosh, we made it through that. We're feeling a little wobbly. Um, the trust is not super solid, but like the fact that we've made it to the other side of this threshold, um, allows me to feel that we're all going to show up together. Um, and you're here and I'm here and you kind of sink in a little bit deeper to that trust. The teams that I've experienced great amount of challenge with are the teams that have and have made it through the other side of that threshold are the teams that I feel I had the greatest amount of trust and had the greatest strength and were able to go through periods of greater challenge further down the road, more seamlessly and effectively. And we knew what to do because we had the rep to do it. Um, all right,
1: but let me, let me bring you back for a second and just, just say this. Okay. I get, I think everybody wants to get through the eye of the needle and everybody wants all of that, but there's, there's choices that have to be made that demand such levels of courage. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I would call differentiation where you're willing to to be true to who you are, regardless of whether you're like mm-hmm. or love. And you don't even know if you're going to even be selected, you know, no. on these teams that you're on, like how walk us, give us an example of like how you either saw a teammate or how you mm-hmm. duck your neck out in a culture that was dysfunctional yes. and you fought to make it a culture that had trust and health.
0: I've got, what a, did you have to do? I've got a great story for us. So, <laughs> um, I was training for the 2012 Olympics. I had competed in the 2008 Olympics where we were favored for gold and we came up what we felt as a team short and won silver, no doubt winning silver is a great accomplishment. Um, but it was probably one of the most painful losses that I had ever experienced in my athletic career. Um, we had seven returners to that 2008 squad from the two, um, onto the 2012. So seven of us, you know, who experienced that loss and winning silver now are on that 2012 squad. We want redemption. Like we are hungry to get that gold. The last Olympics was not how we wanted it to go. We got four more years that we've got to train and put our heads down. And we're after that gold medal among those seven, there are an additional, um, six girls and that creates our squad of 13. So we've got seven that have experienced this 2008 deal and we've got six more that are new to the team. We are training, we're through our four, we're kind of in that fourth year of the four-year training period. It's April Uh, which means that the Olympics is only four months away, which is actually seems pretty close when you're training for four years, four months is like, it's tomorrow, like be ready. We should be the best that we can be or close to that four months out. And we had a training trip in Italy, which means we were just training, uh, doing common training with Italy. Um, and it's a grind and we're beating up on each other and we're beating up on Italy. And that's just how you get better. And, um, we had uh, like an evening out where we were supposed to meet as a team wires got crossed half the teams late. There's like a big kind of boiling point comes to an head. The team feels as divided as can be naturally. It's almost like the, the returners from that 2008 squad are kind of a subgroup and then, There's a subgroup of the newbies and there's a few kind of in between. It's not that clear of a cut. But we are, again, uh, we are in a huge rift and we're about as divided as can be. And we're actually, we're fighting um, and that's felt. Um, And it came to a head and, you know, our coaching staff saw it and, you know, like it's, I'm thinking like, oh man, we're going to be in big trouble. Um, And practice tomorrow is just going to be, we're going to get reamed. He's going to push us as hard as he possibly can. And he's going to teach us a lesson. So I'm kind of bracing for impact morning practice comes it's normal business as usual. It's hard, but there's no kind of extra, like we're holding you girls accountable for your behavior and where you're at right now. So I think, okay, interesting. The evening practice comes along and our coach calls it. So he calls it off. And when you're four months out from the Olympics and you don't have that much time together, when you call a practice, that's a pretty big deal. So now I'm even more worried uh, because I would actually rather go through the gauntlet of practice than actually not have practice because what does this mean? you know? So we all come into the meeting room. And all the chairs are facing the whiteboard. And I kind of sit down and I'm I'm like white knuckling my chair and just kind of bracing for the impact. Cause I'm like, you know, our coach is going to lean into us. He's going to yell at us. We got to be accountable. Like how uncomfortable, whatever he walks in, he's pretty quiet. And, um, he basically goes, this is your team. You guys figure it out. So then I'm like, you know, pulling that information in and what does that mean for us? And so what we end up doing rather than facing the whiteboard, we kind of circle up into a circle, right. And we're all sitting in chairs and we're all looking at each other, which is even, you know, again, this is the courage that you're talking about. How do you show up? So we're all looking at each other. And this is kind of like, um, you could call it a Kumbaya meeting. You could call it like, you know, the ugly truth meeting, but you know, we start really sharing what's going on within the team. What are the issues? What led to that boil up? What actually is going on within our team? What words need to be said? What hasn't been said? How do we become more effective? Um, and like down to like little things, but it was kind of a tell all. And one of the things, um, Ooh, the emotions are coming up already. Um, but one of the things that I had done earlier in the quad was I had wrote down what it felt like really felt like to lose in the final games at the Olympics, uh, in 2008. And I had wrote down what my fears were. I wrote down what my concerns were. I wrote down, uh, really what I wanted this 2012 squad to do and how I wanted them to show up. Um, and I had written it in a journal and I kept my journals in a giant Ziploc bag in the back of my water polo backpack so that it wouldn't get wet. And I remember in this meeting where we're all circled up, I thought I've got to read this to my teammates. I've got to read what it feels like. I've got to bring the returners and the new girls in this team together through this experience. And so I pull out my journal, it's in the Ziploc, and I'm like shaking like a leaf because this is this is a story that's so, so close to my heart. It hurt like hell to go through that experience. Um, these are that just felt so vulnerable. And I can't get the ziploc bag open. And my teammate next to me is trying to, you know, fuss it open. It's like one of those zip things, you know, and it's stuck. So then I end up ripping the bag open. It's super dramatic. <laughs> and I turn to the page in my journal and I start reading what it felt like. And I'm bawling and I'm looking across the way and my teammates who have experienced the same thing are crying as well. It was such a real moment that that seven had experienced. And it was really, I don't know that we had processed all of it and I still to this day don't know that we've processed all of it, but we hadn't processed it with that 2012 group to be able to rise together and go into this next kind of war against the world to come out on top. And I just told the new girls in that squad that I never wanted them to feel what we felt in 2008. And I wanted to be able to trust that they were gonna take care of me and the whole team at large so that we never had to feel it again. And that was a time in which I felt like I stuck my neck way out. And it was a small piece to all of the pieces that had to come together that brought us together as a unit and made us super strong, but that definitely was what we needed in that moment of great divide to come closer together and move through those next four months to arrive in London. There was definitely moments of challenge leading up to the London Olympics that again, brought us closer together. Um, but spoiler alert, we won gold in 2012. It was awesome. But that is a great example of being courageous enough to use my voice, um, to not, you know, place blame or anything, but really share a vulnerable experience. Um, and it was one that really spoke for, you know, half of the group there. And I think it was a moment that really brought us together, uh, in a lot of ways. Wow. I mean, so much
1: here. Gosh, I have like so many questions and thoughts. I guess the first one out the gate, Cami, is, you know, in those moments of courage, one of the ways that we talk about like a defining courageous moment is that you feel like you've got, you're going to lose something. Like you have, you have something to lose. And despite that, you move forward. Mm -hmm. Like, what did you feel like you could lose by sharing your truth?
0: Oh man. I mean, just the, just having a vulnerable, vulnerable moment in front of the team and sharing that kind of emotion, um, to, you know, I potentially losing this, uh, kind of image of strength and being a veteran and having it all together. Um, so like in that
1: moment, you, like you, it's not coming out of your nose kind of thing. Is that, oh, is it that? Okay. No, but I mean, that's the thing. I mean, so you're right, you were willing to drop a kind of, kind of, I, I think of you as like somebody with like, fierce grace, like you're powerful, and then you're really elegant, because you're, you're masterful in what you do. And so when you have those skills, but you're at this breaking point, you have to be willing to basically break yourself a bit yes and and so that's what you were losing you were losing that kind of that projection yes that that way that you were seen is that what you're saying like you were and you were what but what's the cost of that like you and I kind of are about vulnerability we're about some of these things like like for our listeners it's like okay well good job cams of course you got to do that but like what 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 were were you really worried you're going to lose if you did that
0: Yeah. And I think my heart is my heart's greatest desire at that point was to win a gold medal alongside of my teammates. And, you know, I think what I was doing in that moment was giving my heart and everything I was holding to the team to say, can you actually hold this and carry it along with me rather than me holding it alone? And that When you share your heart and you lean onto somebody, you know, that's huge because what if they don't catch it? What if it falls through? What if they don't show up in that moment? And I, I've been holding it and I've been caring for it and I've been tending for it and I've been putting that good energy and structure into the team. And now I'm saying, okay, team, it's actually ours to hold. And I wow. want to hold you accountable to it. And that is a scary thing. Wow.
1: So what you're telling, holy smoke. So you're saying, okay, so if we, if we just take this for a minute for our audience and we say, okay, listen, on this day, four months out from the 2012 Olympics, Adam was at the front of the room and said, you know what? I can't be at the front of the room anymore. You have to turn toward each other because guess what? I'm not in the pool with you. Mm-hmm. It can't be about the, the what, what we do with a lot of coaches is we project onto them, the mother or the father figure. Right. And then when we get in the pool or on the field of play, we sort of look to them either consciously or unconsciously to tell us what to do in hard times at the very moment when we need to be doubling down on our own gut instinct, our own intuition, our own skill and one another as we compete. Right. And so if you even just take a moment and say, okay. What, I mean, we've got to interview a- Adam now on this, but like the genius of Adam to say, okay, you know what? It's not about me. Yeah. I can't solve this for you four months out. And I can't solve it for you four months ahead. You all have to turn toward each other. Okay. That's one really brilliant move from a coach. And I super support that. And I've taught that in, in many teams that I've worked with next up though, you're sitting in a circle. I mean, there's a risk for Adam even turning you toward each other because I've sat people in a circle and guess what? You can have people turn toward each other and you can end up saying things that cause people even more harm Yeah. because people share and the pain is so severe, mm-hmm. right? So that you can start to share as a team about things that are like, oh, wait, I thought I was hurt now. And now Cammie just said that to me, like now I'm even more wounded and now I want to escape, right? So that didn't happen for whatever reason, Yes. which we can talk about in a moment. But then what did happen is that you took that risk to say, okay, instead of holding my heart to myself, I'm going to actually put the heart in the middle of the circle. Yes. I mean, yeah. Just look at your face right now. Like, I know our listeners can't see this. We need video, but like, ah! (laughs) yeah, I'm like, whoa, that's a lot. (laughs) It's. how would you say it now? I mean, yeah, we could say you're risking your heart, but I mean, what does that even mean to risk your heart? You of all people, what does that mean?
0: Yeah. I think, um, again, you are inviting and in others to support it yeah. and you're not holding it completely on your own. And that takes courage to hand over the heart. And there's no way I could have done it alone. So okay, so before we okay, so I got a I got
1: a follow on question, but before we get there, I what is it in you that says, is we go back to your mom and dad, like what is it that says to you, okay, this is what every human has to decide. It's either riskier to not do than it is to do, and you were made that choice. You said, okay, it's riskier for me to hold my heart inside of me. Than it is, in essence, Like you must have run some kind of cost-benefit analysis in that moment, like in a spiritual moment in your heart, you knew it was riskier to keep your heart protected inside of you than it was to put it in the middle of that circle. Why?
0: I think, you know, what's interesting about that moment is I had written that journal entry like months before i had come back from a hard practice. I didn't like where we were at at, as a team. And I just thought, do we, do we get like, what's at stake here? Do we get the pain that comes from not making it to the top? And I remember I was bawling in my car, writing in my journal, parked outside my house. I didn't go into my house. I was living alone at the time. I had all the space to do it, but it felt so important to get it out on that piece of paper in that moment. And it just sat in my little journal in the back of my water polo bag and traveled all the world with me and went to every single practice and every single pool deck. And I had been holding this message and the story that really needed to be told. And I don't know what. It was just the time and it was already there. My heart had already communicated it and it just needed to be delivered. And it was clear to me what the divide was and what needed to be said. And it was already something that was important to me.
1: Okay. So maybe I'll use that word because that's, what's coming to me is the divided heart. You knew in 08, what it felt like to have your heart totally broken and shattered. Yeah. And at that moment sitting in that circle, you saw that either that, Pain was going to be perpetuated because there were you knew there was a divide in the team. There was the veterans, and then there was the rookies. You knew that you were divided four months out. You knew that your heart had been divided four years prior. So I'm guessing that on some level, your heart knew the way forward was to become integrated again, which is where we get the word integrity, which is something you, fight for tooth and nail in your own self and everything you do. And so in a, in an interesting way, and not an interesting, I mean, like a very skillful way, right. The team came into a circle and that was a moment when divisions, heart, heart divisions could Mm -hmm. be healed. Mm -hmm. Like if I put my heart, my whole heart, even in its brokenness in the middle, there's a chance that in putting it back in the middle, it can be healed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if and I'm going to, I Cami Craig have learned from my family that if we lean in in hard times and we all do our jobs and we're all dependable and we're all accountable. And by the way, my parents trusted us to be, I'm going to do the same for you 12 other women and let's heal our hearts together in this moment. So t- walk us through, you come out of that room, did it feel like it can, where it's like vulnerably, it's like possible you might have a united heart, but you don't yet have it. And so it's like, we're kind of there, but we're not there. Or did you immediately feel like, nope,
0: we've got one heart beating together? No, there was um, definitely a vulnerability hangover. <laughs> I was like, holy cow. Yep. And and to think like my words were not the only thing that were said in that meeting, yep. And so there was a lot of pieces being integrated. There was a lot of communication. And then, you know, there was this, this journal entry that I read and shared. Um, And so there's a bit of kind of dust needing to settle and, um, you know, kind of like your first challenge that you need to be embarked that you need to go through together to kind of see if it's stuck or not. And so it's not immediate, you know, it's kind of like you take the chance Um, you've got one or two people who are your solids on the team that you can kind of lean on in that vulnerability hangover, like, gosh, I hope that was okay. I hope it wasn't too much. That felt like a lot, you know, whatever you're having that kind of moment. Um, and then you get back to business and you see kind of how the pieces start falling in into place. And as the dust settles, what emerges? And I, let me ask you this. uh, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Um, And it, this may move us forward too much, but there, I do have a really distinctive point in the London games where that we saw how we were as one and we came even closer together as a team. And All right. A- let's,
1: let's do let's, we can, we'll get, we'll get there. So, you know, cause I think, I think of our listeners, right. And whether you're a, a player on a team or you're a coach and all coaches are are leaders. So, you know, one of the challenges about being a leader is giving over control to the group, which is what Adam did. Mm-hmm. Then the group has this experience. Which, by the way, having either led those experiences or watched as coaches, you know, wonder what the heck happened behind closed doors when they just kind of gave the team over to itself can be very vulnerable for for the coach,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Because Adam doesn't wasn't in the room, right? None of the coaches. It was just you guys. I actually,
0: he all the coaches were in the room.
1: Oh, interesting, so they, yeah. they witnessed all of that. All right, that's interesting. All right, so was there anything that you noticed? I'm just curious, like what, you talked about what Adam chose to do for practices leading up to that, then you had this experience. Did he just kind of put the train back on the tracks and just go back to like, okay, hey, we did that and now let's kind of get back to our X's and O's and kind of our strategy and trust that whatever happened in that room needs some time, like a good wine to kind of, you know, find its way to its full flavor.
0: Is that, is that kind of what happened? Yeah. As I, as I remember it, that's what happened, um, is the train went back on the tracks and it's business as usual because we were preparing for, you know, the, the Olympic games there was, you know, and there's a whole kind of strategic and tactical way to do that. Plus what we just experienced in that room as a team. So, all right,
1: so this is, this is classic, you know, this is, this applies very much in our corporate settings, right? Which is, you've got the business that you've got to deliver, whatever it is, you know, it may be a client uh, deliverable of some kind. And so you got to get the train back on the tracks. However, you're also trying to build the culture that has integrity. And in that moment, in that circle, you decided you all just, you know, it was kind of this really wonderful, this gets at this idea of like positive stress. Mm -hmm. You know, in in a lot of ways, the level of stress that you all were under forced the issue and you and others chose not to allow it to fracture you, but to actually bind you together even more deeply. So now we're tracking two things, right? As you're leading up to 2012, we've got the heart that's kind of like, uh do we have one heart do we have multiple heart like what's gonna happen so there's that right and then there's just the the fact of the tactics and strategy and x's and o's right so you put the tactics back on the track talk to the to our audience a little bit though about how then you tended this this emerging unity or or culture of integrity that's heart-centered that's fierce but also loving and trying to say, look, if we come into the Olympics fractured in our hearts and our relationships, you already knew that was going to be a performance disadvantage. So how did you, how did you cultivate what was begun in that room and keep it going for four months?
0: Yeah, I think as a team, it was just us continuously showing up. Um, it's, it was micro moments of of showing up and that can be in large or small ways. Um, but I think it, you know, all, it's not like all, it was almost like we all took our own responsibility to continue to show up in microwaves. And that's like, it can be a small, someone grabbing your water bottle for you that you left on the pool deck. Um, or as large as like, I'm see so you're having an off morning, let's get breakfast and talk it out, you know? Um, but all of a sudden it was like, uh, not all of a sudden, but it was like all of our hearts were online. Um, and we were choosing to commit, not that we weren't committed before, but it was like, okay, we're like, we're in this, like we're, we're showing, we're showing up. Um, and we're we'll choosing- unpack when you say
1: the- showing up, like yeah. you can show up on time. Mm-hmm. That's not what you're talking about. You're t- and you do this very well. I see you and in, in our own company. You do this with, with Kyle and with me there's a quality of showing up. Like, how would you describe, like, you're showing up? What to, to affirm, to champion? To s- I see you, you know. And then you speak it. I see you doing it with with me, you know. And you watch me go through my good days and my hard days and my down days, and you know. And and you 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 choose to champion and affirm and give it voice and say, I see you. Is that what you mean by showing up?
0: Yeah, I think, I think, yes. Um, if I'm looking at like how I choose to show up on a team is like, and the beauty about being on a team is that you're, you know, everyone's going to have a day. Um, everyone's going to have a great day where they're killing it. Um, or they're going to have a day where they're hundred percent actually looks like 10%, but they're given a hundred of that 10%. Right. And The beauty of a team is that we can fluctuate and fill in the gaps as the gaps open and close and change. And, you know, where's the gap coming from today? And when you can start covering these gaps and, you know, in a team that's healthy, those gaps aren't going to be consistently from the same place because you're able to kind of cover and fill the gap and create those bridges so that that person's not losing, you, you know, that person's not off the, off the train, right? Like yeah, we've talked about the, the book hidden life of trees and in a canopy of trees, if there's a tree that's dying, all of the healthy trees feed it nutrients you know, through their roots and underground system to give it the health it needs to grow back up. Because if there's a hole in the canopy, then the canopy becomes vulnerable to the sun and the outside elements. And so that's what you do as that's showing up as a team is you're feeding health through the P through, you know, the weak individuals at that moment, at that day, at that week or whatever, so that you can continue to grow health and cover up any spaces of vulnerability to the whole unit. And I think what happened or what was a a contributor uh, in that meeting was that we were now kind of on board to continuing to build that health and covering those kind of vulnerability spots. And so showing up looks different, but it's just being attuned and aware of what are the needs with who. And it wasn't my responsibility to take care of everyone, but You know, it's like everyone was taking care of each other in one way or another. All right.
1: So this is profound. This is profound for so many reasons. First of all, I stay up all night watching um, season three of Ted Lasso. And I don't know if you're watching it, but I'm sure most of our audiences and one of the things that's so cool is in... um, I can't even remember. It's like called pure football, or whole football, or complete football, or whatever. Lasso's saying, "Look, there's like these four elements of of like this this style of playing soccer. You know, the first one is you got to have excellent conditioning, which obviously that's what you've been training for, right? So everybody's got to be in the pocket physically, right? Number one to play elite level soccer. Next, versatility." And the idea there is that instead of being stuck, always you're the forward and you're the midi and you're defense or whatever, there's got to be fluidity, which is what you're talking about. Yes, you need to know your roles and responsibilities back to the Craig manual. However, in the Craig manual, I'm guessing it also said, even though Cami is generally responsible in this area, if mom or dad or brother is struggling, Cammy, cover for them. Like, Leave your spot and move. And that's that versatility. I mean, come back, you can't, you can't play, you know, three positions all the time. But there's that what you talked about with the trees helping each other, and the pivoting and the moving and the versatility. So that's number two in the in the in in football. And then the third one is awareness. You have to have that head on the swivel, 3D awareness that you and I talk about all the time, which is one of the characteristics of a culture carrier, which is, you know, I see, I notice, and just now you use the word attune. And mm-hmm. what's so cool about everything you've just said and the way you can connect it back to like elite level soccer or elite level water polo, but it also connects to like running, being in a family or being in a company is like this attunement. And you and I both know that attuning through the mind, through just the mind, through cognition, doesn't achieve the kind of caretaking necessary to build a team. Attunement comes from the heart. And what's so profound is, look at this, four months out, you just said it, you got everybody's hearts online. Like people were showing up, but they, what I think you're saying, is that yeah people were showing up physically maybe even mentally but we hadn't figured out how to get everybody showing up with that attuned 3d awareness that can only happen in the brain of the heart mm. like that's what the heart knows how to do and so you guys that's what you all know i mean when i think about when i I've, I've listened to you talk about being a center you had, you know, if we get into that sort of intuitive skill now that you have. Here you are, the Shaquille O'Neal of women's water polo. I mean, when I've asked you, like, cams, like, how did you, I mean, you, you can't even, like, touch the ground. I mean, you're like, you're <laughs> like a tree. Remember when we were swimming together yeah. and I was like, oh my gosh, you're like a tree, but you don't have roots. Like, how are you so solid? <laughs> and then you would, and then you, you would tell me, you know, you're like, I knew, I knew exactly who was even behind me. Even if I couldn't see them, there's this like sixth sense. Yes. That's also connected. I think, I don't know, talk to us. Is it like there's this like sixth did the sixth maybe I'll ask it this way, does that sixth sense about you, your teammates, and your opponents get reduced when your heart is offline?
0: That's an interesting way to put it. I think some of it is like pattern recognition, some of it's muscle memory. And then that heart element is like, I will tell you training for the Olympics is the hardest thing I've ever had. To, I've done in my life physically, mentally, <laughs> spiritually. Um, and when you go into battle and you're responsible for you know what you have to take care of, but also you've gotta be moving as this collective group. If your heart's not in it, you're not gonna be chasing down someone to cover a teammate. If your heart's not in it, you're not gonna do the extra effort to protect your goalie in the cage. If your heart's not in it, you're not gonna find that ability to dig deep and grit out what's needed to rise to the task and do incredible things you can you wouldn't imagine you could do. And so if the heart is not there, you're limiting yourself. You're living, limiting yourself to having a collective high-level performance and individual high-level performance in a way that you're working as a full unit. Like, you need heart. You can't be one foot in and one foot out when you're trying to be the best in the world. You can't leave your heart packed in the car when you're trying to be the best in the world. It's impossible. It's impossible. However, however, you
1: have stood on the top of the podium you've earned and won with your team two gold medals. Mm -hmm. You know the difference between standing on the top of the podium with all of you intact and only part of you intact. Mm -hmm. What's the difference?
0: Is bringing, it's, it's that element of bringing your heart online. It's the... Um, idea of committing fully to the culture or to the vision or to the goal um and when you're just surviving or you're skilled or talented enough to where you can just kind of arrive to the top of the podium um there's a there's a there's a lack of fulfillment or there's a relief you know, and that's a really different feeling to feel relieved to get to the top of the podium versus like, heck yeah, we made it. Right.
1: So that's interesting because I feel like even this is a really, this is sort of where we are probably in many different places in our culture today, which is, is it worth rising with all of ourselves intact, when it takes vulnerability, like you describe, to put your heart out there. Most of us, I think, would say, I don't know if it's worth it, Cammie, like, that's scary. I don't know if I should put my heart in the middle of the room, or between me and my partner, or my spouse, or me and my children, or like, because that that risk may not be worth the reward. Mm-hmm. And it seems like you've experienced excellence where you've done it both ways. Mm-hmm.
0: What is it worth it? Yeah, what comes up for me is um it's the richness in the process. When you say is the is the risk worse worth the reward it it is a reward when you get to the top of the podium or a peak performance with all of you intact. That's the true reward. Because I think if, you, if there's parts of you that are missing and you get to this peak performance, it doesn't feel like a whole reward. You know, whatever, whatever parts that you left offline, it can feel missing at the top. And you may realize that your focus was just about the result. And it can be a really empty feeling when you potentially win the gold or make the sale or, you know, hit the whatever it is your gold medal is in that moment, it can become empty. And then you're left with this feeling of like, what was that? (laughs) What did I just experience? And so you begin to kind of focus on that end result, the wind, the sail, the, you know, peak performance and, and all of the goodness that builds to that doesn't have as much richness in it because what did you do to get there? Because you might've abandoned
1: yourself along the way. Yeah. And maybe you abandoned others. Yeah
0: and not cared for the process. And so, you know. So
1: you're saying, I mean, what I'm hearing you say, which I believe, but I mean, I'm just checking in with you, is that if you focus on peak performance, which a lot of our clients can they're smart enough and they have enough energy and will and resources and whatever, that they can focus on peak performance and they can achieve these peaks. And what I'm hearing you say is you can achieve a lot of peaks, but if you've abandoned yourself and others along the way, what you're doing is you're getting to the top, but over time you're weakening yourself. So the first peak you might get to, and you might be fine, but if you keep going and you keep abandoning yourself in order to just have that kind of dopamine high of the, like you said, the sale or the peak performance or the gold, um, what you're saying, I think is, look, risking your heart along the way, not stupidly. You didn't do it all the time. You were careful. You found the right moments, but there's a courageous willingness to say, I think the heart needs to come forward now with kindness and care. And I'm going to, I'm going to risk that because not to risk, it means I'm abandoning myself. And if I do that too many times with these too many peak highs, I'm going to be building on kind of Swiss cheese over the course of my lifetime. And mm-hmm. if I know you, which I do, it's you're all about, I need all of me in the room in whatever I do so that I can bring my full personal and positional power, to the thing that I'm engaged in so that I can be strengthening myself, even as I, you're, you're an executive coach now, even as I help my clients gain strength and power too. And so it's a win-win, but it takes real courage and risk appropriate risk and appropriate vulnerability to get to the top with your heart and soul intact.
0: Mm -hmm. And, you know, even noticing like, what is the wake you're leaving behind yourself to get to that peak Mm -hmm. performance? And is it one that you can fall back onto? And, you know, say you miss the mark, say you don't reach that peak performance, then what do you you know, what is the strength that you've built underneath you? Like you said, is it Swiss cheese or is it a solid foundation? Mm. And I think that, you know, if you reach the top or you come, you know, come up short, if there's a solid foundation and you're proud of the wake that's behind you, you can always fall back to the process and build, continue to build health and strength on that. If not, it becomes a really lonely, icky feeling. Mm. Uh, if it wasn't built in health and it wasn't built with a solid foundation and or, you know, all of you. And I think that I had to learn how to bring all of myself forward. I had to learn that through my college experience and, you know, our NCAA finals, I had to learn that through, you know, the Beijing 2008 Olympic games. And I had to find ways to bring all of me forward. And then what is it to bring each person and each individual of the team forward as well. And it takes, you know, it takes a number of things to allow trust to emerge to where everyone is willing to do that. And bring us across the feeling, it's a good feeling, Hmm. but everyone can do it magic well
1: well well bring us to that magic and that feeling um now we're four months later it's the 2012 games bring us across the finish line with that experience
0: yes so i will say um we were not a gold medal winning team until the finals of the olympics okay so there's six games that we play we were not a gold medal winning team in the first game that we played it that tournament strengthened us throughout the whole tournament to be the champions that we were at the end of it in the semifinals we play australia uh we are up by one point with probably 11 seconds to go and adam our fearless leader and at this point again you you said it perfectly like Adams are fearless later on the deck but the the women in the pool are absolutely playing for each other and they're not playing just for the man on the deck which is really really important um because it wasn't about his you know um we we weren't playing for his approval per se you know we were at this point we're playing just to like have each other's backs in the pool which is awesome it's an awesome feeling Um, and so our fearless leaders up there doing his thing, he's holding the whole container for us to do our work as a team together. And he makes a call. Um, and it was the incorrect call with like probably two seconds, no one second left on the clock. This call, unfortunately led to Australia getting a free penalty shot. They get the free penalty shot. And now we are tied and going into overtime in the semifinals of the Olympic games. Now there was like a big pause of the game and the refs are talking and Adam's having this moment and, you know, like we're going, you know, as athletes, what's going on and what's the result, and how it, uh, so the penalty happens. We're tied. We've got six more minutes of battle with the Australian team and I will never forget as a team. What did we do exactly what we did in that room that day? We turned towards each other and leaned in. I've goosebumps just talking about it. And I just watched the game last week. Don't ask me why, but this is what I do on my weekends is watch on the 2012 Olympics, but we leaned in. I'll never forget. We had girls hanging off the deck. We had girls in the water we got this. We're going to, do. I mean, just the head nodding, the eye contact, the communication, the pumping each other up. No, one's going to take this away from us. We got, I mean, who knows where Adam was? He probably was just like taking a moment in the corner of the pool deck to gather himself, but it didn't matter because we had him. He slipped through the cracks and we caught him because he gave us the ownership. He strengthened us enough to where we could say, Hey, you had a moment. We have moments all the time. You've created health and safety for us to have healthy mistakes and moments. You just had a moment. It's okay. We're here. And as I can remember him either sharing with me or heard in an interview, he said, I knew in that moment, we would win a gold medal watching the reaction of our team in that moment where I made that mistake. We came together, we go into overtime. We scored two goals in the first overtime period. It's like two, three minute periods. um, and we're off to the finals. And, That was a moment that strengthened us and even prepared us to be a stronger, more unified team going into the finals. It's all a part of the journey. It's not perfect. It's not pretty. You know, we make mistakes. We want them to be small, but even sometimes they're large. And we just rose to the challenge collectively because we had spent that four years building and working towards being healthy and strong enough to be able to do that. And if he didn't give us the ownership, and the strength to do that together as a team, we wouldn't have been able to catch him. So you built a culture
1: that allowed for error. Well, first it allowed for enough safety when people are vulnerable and vulnerability is always part of making healthy mistakes. And you all taught each other four months out that the culture could withstand the pain because there was enough commitment and safety in that room. And so then when it mattered, which is precisely the point of culture, there was the culture when you had six minutes left in that semifinal game, when Adam made an understandable error, but it didn't cost you because you had a culture of how you respond under pressure in vulnerable situations. And you are gonna do it by leaning in because that's the Craig manual. (laughs) And it's also the manual that was built over time for the US women's team, which isn't to say you built it yourself. It's that it was, this is ultimately what you and I are trying to teach anyway, which is the, as complex as human beings are, Mm-hmm. with all of our idiosyncrasies around our behaviors and our how we were raised and how our minds and bodies and spirits work at the end of the day we all have something in common which is we need enough safety mm-hmm. psychological safety physical safety to be able to be vulnerable enough to grow and we have to we, mistakes are inherent that's part of the whole deal And there you were, I mean, you'd built that culture such that it supported you when it mattered most.
0: And I think you beautifully said, it's not to say that you built it on your own is what you said. And you can't, that's that's the thing is you can't build culture on your own. You can simply, you can only simply choose to commit to it and influence it because I, there, you can't build culture on your own. It's each and every one of my teammates chose to show up and trust enough to lean in, trust enough that we had each other's backs, trust enough that we would in fact rise as a unit. And if there was any stragglers that we just grabbed them and pulled yeah. them up and put them right squarely in it. And if you get and it's it's cool because you can see it start to tilt. It may start with two, one person, two people, three people, and eventually becomes the majority, which can tilt the whole scale. And this was a team that was willing to do that based off of what they experienced in 2008. They were willing to take that risk to continue to lean in so that they, in fact, didn't feel what we all experienced in coming up short in 2008.
1: So as we wrap up, today. Um, you know, most people don't ever get to be part of, a, you know, an elite NCAA team, let alone a national team, let alone uh, three Olympics, let alone one gold, and you with two golds to your name. Um, it's an incredible career. It's an honor to um, call you colleague and friends Um What do you want to share with people who are fighting for their own gold medals and trying to do so with their heart intact, you know, at, at work or at school, or maybe they're, um, you know, sixth grade and they're in a locker room Mm -hmm. and they're trying to figure out, you know, how do I have an experience like what you have experienced? What could I do?
0: Yeah. I think what I would share is that my medals just sit in a box somewhere, (laughs) you know, Um, They are what they are. It's really the process that matters. Um, It's the choices that you make along the process. It's the conversations you have. It's the meals you share. It's um, the challenges that you face and how you find the solutions together it's the process. When we get together, we don't talk about where our gold medals are or like how cool it was to stand on top of the podium. I just got to sit with a teammate last weekend and it's all the stories and the laughter and the joy and the fun and like what was so hard about training and can you believe we actually did that? And, you know, and so I think it's truly about the process. And if you're embarking on that journey, I would say, make sure that you, Know when to be focused and grit and grind and get through what you need to do, but also keep that lens pulled back and don't make it all about winning and getting to that end goal because you'll lose sight. And it's not, if you're just focused on that, it's going to be impossible to build the strength that you need. Focus on the process, who you want to be in the process, intentionally what you want to get out of it, just even outside of the end result. Um, and that's going to allow you to really kind of float to where you want to be. I'll,
1: I'll, all I'll add to that as your teammate is that what I see you do is all that. And you lift everybody else up too. And that is pretty special and takes a lot of, um, energy and commitment and heart. Yeah. Um, so it has been absolutely amazing to spend this kind of time with you so today. <laughs> and I hope we get to do it again. Thank you so much. Thank
0: you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you to those who joined us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take the opportunity to share with a friend, follow mindful warrior radio and leave a review. To learn more about Mindful Warrior and Mindful Warrior Radio, please follow us on Instagram at The Real Mindful Warrior and check out our website at www.mindfulwarrior.com. I look forward to our next discussion here on Mindful Warrior Radio.